Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is the Runner's World Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Runner's World Podcast. Each month we'll be bringing you training advice, news and interviews from the wide world of running. I'm Rick Pearson, the Runner's World section editor, and I'm here with my co-host Ben Hobson, the digital editor. Ben, what have we got coming up on this month's episode? On this month's podcast, we have Sean Conway, the adventurer, who's just completed the running part of his Length of Britain triathlon. We have Peter Thompson, who is running the entire length of this year's Tour de France route. And we have commissioning editor Kerry McCarthy um, to advise on running kit ahead of the marathon. One of the more interesting emails that came into my inbox uh, this week was about the length that runners will go to to get a kind of performance advantage. It said, check this out. So 35% of runners would be willing to down pickle juice (laughs) to to run further. Sure. 29% would swallow baking soda. I think this is weird, but not that weird at this point, right? But here we go. 24% would munch on caterpillar fungus. And 13% would eat blood custard. (laughs) And best of all... Hold on, what's blood custard? I'm not sure. Uh, 10% would drink... uh, This is apparently serious. Deer penis wine to be faster. I'm not even sure what that is. I don't know what that is. I'm also concerned... So, caterpillar mould? So, not just caterpillars? No. No, that's just too run-of-the-mill. Yeah, fungus. Caterpillar fungus. It's got to be the fungus. It's got to be the fungus part. So, I thought that was... I mean, what's wrong with a banana and an energy gel? I mean, surely a banana is the safest bet of all of those things. But no, apparently, no, 10% were up for uh, deer penis wine. So I thought that was... What's deer? What is it? Well... Is it just the wee of a deer? Possibly. We'll have to, we'll have to look into this a bit more. But I, I was pretty... I, I, I thought look, people drinking loads of beetroot juice was weird. Runner's World Podcast. Having already cycled and swum the length of Britain... Endurance adventurer Sean Conway completed his trilogy by running all the way from John O'Groats to Land's End. He completed the journey entirely unsupported, sleeping in a tent and carrying all his own equipment. I caught up with Sean to hear about his journey and why he thinks we should seek out adventures on our own. So your new book, Running Britain, comes out next month. Um, what's that all yeah. about? Well, uh, Running Britain is the, uh, the third and final leg of my length of britain triathlon i think is what it landed up being um but totally by mistake if i'm honest <laughs> i uh 2008 i cycled lands into on after hearing about the record which is 44 days i thought right how close can i get to 44 days uh it turns out not close 
at all. Uh, it took me, uh, sorry, 44 hours. <laughs> it took me 25 days right. um, to, to do it. Uh, and then years later, I learned, then swam land, then John O'Groats. And it was only after those two that I thought, right, but I've got to do the triathlon now. And uh, not being a runner at all, I, I actually failed the first attempt because I, I got injured taking a selfie, which was pretty embarrassing. Um, but <laughs> we, we, we've we've all been there. We've all been there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, carried on uh, six months later and had a second crack at it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, truthfully, it was never meant to sort of be this big epic run i i had six weeks off and i wanted to make the most of all six weeks so you know did my route accordingly and and just explored britain via trails and it was amazing so the first attempt you got injured i mean had you been running much beforehand did you or was running sort of fairly new to you at that point oh yeah running was very new i mean i did running at school i did a bit of cross country and you know, I was okay at the sort of 800 meters, but um, uh, that's the last time I pretty much ran other than for a bus, you know, uh, right. in my 20s. It was only when I was in my early 30s that I took up running again, sort of went and bought my first pair of trainers, um, which is why I got injured, you know, as, as all proper runners know, it takes a while to build up all your cartilage strength and your your, your hard tissue and all that sort of thing, and... Um, yeah, so I was pretty new to it, which is why I was really struggling at the beginning, uh, especially wearing a 10 kg rucksack as well. That didn't help me. Yeah, right, I'm sure. I think it's amazing the fact that you, you obviously as well, the, the premise of the run was that you were going to invent, you know, explore routes perhaps less trod. Um, what did you learn about running through Britain in that way on trails? Oh, man, I mean, I, I always say it and I'll keep on banging on about it. Britain is best island in the world man you know there's just so much going on there's so many hidden little things that you only hear about once you kind of go out there and um you just often find them you know hidden away on these little trails like little you know people who have opened up little cafe and potteries you know on, on the great glen way which you would never know about unless you actually walk that trail the west island way you come across some amazing little places and small little towns and Places like at Cape Wrath Lighthouse, there's a cafe that'll open for you any time of day. You rock up at two in the morning, the cafe owner will open up and make you a soup. It's amazing. That's brilliant. Um, and and it's, it's exploring that all those little hidden places. Because when I did the cycle, I explored the roads. and I did the swim, I explored the coastline. And for the run, I really wanted to explore the trails. And, and you know, there are you know, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of miles of public footpaths and bridleways and byways all over Britain and uh, yeah it's just it was amazing to explore them did you have any real standout moments oh everywhere you know <laughs> I mean at the top going across the north coast of Scotland is pretty gnarly and then you start sort of heading south I didn't want to go east and down the uh, A99 because uh, it's pretty pretty busy uh, so I went across the, the top a bit and then you're down in into kind of cutting through all the Backland, uh, pretty remote. That bit of Scotland is one of the most uninhabited parts of Europe, believe it or not. And uh, you, it really does feel it, especially when you do it in, in March. <laughs> really cold. Um, and then, and then you're into sort of the West Island Way and the Great Glen, um, uh, which is just amazing. And from there, you're down into Glasgow and you do all the borders, which are again incredible. Then you're in the Lake District. Then you're on all the canals. You can pretty much do canals from 
Kendall all the way to Bristol, pretty much. You, in fact, you can definitely. It's a bit windy, so I did cut some corners just to save save my knees uh, on the mileage. And um, but yeah, then Canal Way. Oh, I love Canal. So I, I lived in an old World War Two gunboat on the River Severn for three years, which uh, so I have yeah an affinity for. Lots of algae and swan poo. Run along canals. <laughs> so I mean, this is a this is quite a big route, and as you say, you can you can track it pretty much via canals or on sort of these pathways that um, that just need exploring. But did you run with technology? How did you map this? Well, at at the beginning stages, I ha- I have a massive map of Britain at home, um, which I can put sort of a whiteboard marker on and rub it out. So. I, I was sort of looking at various routes on paper maps at home, but just to, for, for weight, I actually then did everything via the Ordnance Survey app on my phone, right. and that shows you exactly where all the trails are and, and things like that, and that, that was the easiest way to navigate while on the road. Um, and I knew some paths I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do the West Island Way. I knew I wanted to do the Great Glen Way, the Southwest Coast Path, uh, the Seven Way, uh, loads of canals, and then uh, and run through the Lake District. So I kind of knew roughly the bits I wanted to explore that I hadn't explored before. Um, and then just sort of when I'd done the, the West Island Way, then I'd sort of look at look at the OS maps and decide, right, I'm going to get to the next bit and, and, you know, work out, you know, if I was ahead of time or behind time, like, could I add a little detour to somewhere interesting or did I have to make up some miles? And I, I tried to not plan too much because I think, you know, someone famously said, actually, if you, you know, with enough planning, you can successfully eradicate all adventure out of your 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 trip. So I didn't want to do that. You know, I wanted to just sort of let things unfold naturally. I mean, it's striking a balance between what you're trying to achieve here. Like the, the idea is you're trying to complete this triathlon and this is the final leg. But at the same time, everything you do is this, this real uh, ingrained sense of adventure. So is that did you, did you ever feel the pressure to complete it quicker than you wanted, or was it always just I need to just explore? Um, no, certainly. I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for you know it's all about the journey, not about the destination. But truthfully, a lot of the things I do is certainly revolves around getting to the finish line. You know, I'm actually not a very good wanderer. <laughs> I'm not very good at holidays where I just sort of wander around and explore places yes i, I want to have that element within my adventure but certainly for me the the ultimate goal is crossing the finish line um and i guess i i enjoy the racing side of adventure but seem to somehow kind of come up with these ridiculously long races that only i ever do um so <laughs> i'm basically just racing myself because no one else could be bothered to do them um, well you're guaranteed yeah. a win yeah, well, exactly. Well, not always. Oh, true. That's <laughs> true. So, do you think um, the sort of the the way that you changed the, your approach to life and the fact that you took yourself off for a bike ride and it sort of went from there? Really, how do you think modern lifestyle can be adapted so that anyone can fit their own adventure in? I mean, depending on, on where you and where you want to, are in life, you know, I personally needed to take a big leap leap and, and do just something ridiculous and bonkers just to get my confidence back just to feel a bit of fire in my belly about life because I was pretty miserable um, but you definitely don't need to do that you know there's a couple of simple things you, you know you can think about you know the, the, your day should be and, and I know it's, this is woefully 
in in practical at most times. But um, your day should be divided into eight hours work, eight hours sleep, eight hours play, if you can. And I appreciate that a lot of the playtime gets filled up with day-to-day remedial activities like washing and ironing and doing the dishes, (laughs) shopping and commuting and all these things, unfortunately, that eat into that. But nevertheless, you know, there are ways actually maximize that eight hours of playtime um but you know one i don't have a tv so i haven't had a tv for three years and that frees up my evenings i I tend to go to bed early and i tend to wake up before six every day which gives me three hours in the morning before before i have to work and then you know that again is a great a great way of adding more adventure so in the mornings i sort of take the dog for a walk and um, go for a run or a bike ride and then make a nice breakfast and actually sets me up nicely for the day having that bit of outside time before before sort of having to start work um, but then again you know sometimes you do need to just go off for a couple of weeks and uh, and and sort of get a what I call a sort of a, a real life detox you know because real life you know the reality is we are we do lead busy stressful lives looking at computer screens and on the you know commuting and doing remedial stuff like the dishes whereas sometimes it's nice just to go away have a challenge in mind uh and train for it and then go off and complete it and when you come back you definitely feel like you've been properly recharged you know i mean it's important i think a lot of people tend to get stuck in stuck in a in a routine that can breaking that can can make a big difference to just how how happy they are and you know the mental health side of running is is a is a much talked about side of running and i think you know lots of people take great solace in the fact that a little run can make all the difference well totally and you know i'm, I'm a firm believer if you want to you're feeling a little bit down and a bit miserable or whatever three if you try and do three things one eat healthier get fitter and spend more time outside so in natural lighting you will get better and you will feel healthier and, and happier. And um, and the way to do that is just to have a physical challenge that you're aiming for. You know, whether it's a park run, a, you know, half marathon, marathon, whatever you you're into or you want to go for, just ha- put that put that goal into your life, and all of a sudden you'll naturally get fitter. You know, eat healthier, spend more time outside, and and um, yeah, everything else. I really truly like believe that everything else falls into place. You know, absolutely. Um... I think quickly just on the on the, the side of the kit when you were because you were hauling everything around uh, on on yourself and the whole adventure was unsupported. How did you manage to whittle it down to sort of key running kit that you needed whilst trying to tackle the length of Britain? Yeah, a self-supported run really is so much more difficult when you're doing it with a rucksack. Um, if you if a, a buggy is definitely a better way to do it, but then you're, you're stuck to the road. So I, I wanted to be able to do the trails. So, yeah, it was, it was tough. I mean, I, I really go minimalist. I had to take one set of clothing um, and try and wash them. Once a week, I'd treat myself to a hotel and I'd use the free shampoo to get the stink out of my clothes, pretty nice. much. Um, and then I had really super light tent, super light sleeping bag, super light camping mat, um, a little stuff sack, which I'd put some clothes in as a pillow uh, at night. Um, I would buy, I bought pairs of trainers when they ran out, when my, my trainers would last me with, cause I've got the rucksack and the extra weight, probably about 300 miles. So, uh, I would just, I found a running shop and bought a second pair on, on route, uh, and then a third pair down in Somerset. Um, a little battery bank to, to keep my phone charged 
for navigation and, and taking photos and videos and things like that. Um, and that I, well, also I took some tape just for my knees, um, some wet wipes because that was my closest thing I'd get to a shower, pretty much. <laughs> nice. Um, and and I think a pair of gloves at the beginning because it was snowing in Scotland, so um, and which I then got rid of as I went as I went down. So uh, yeah, you really don't need as much as, as you, you think you need. Um, just to, to keep it simple, mainly just to keep the weight down, you know. So I mean, it's a very stripped back sort of affair. But did you find that, and with any of your adventures, but particularly this one, that, that money, having money and, and setting forth on an adventure like this, is, are the two things necessary? Do you need money to make these things work? You definitely don't, 100%. You know, you, uh, you could do these things for, for free. There's actually a really good book by a guy called George Mahood who, who did, it's called The Penny, Pennyless Adventure. Uh, and he did Land's End to John O'Groats with no money, and every day he was sort of going into a pub asking to wash the dishes if, if he could have a meal, you know, <laughs> and, uh, which was great. It was really, really fun. And um, so, no, you could. And, but, but depending on it is, you know, some things do just cost money. You need to buy food, and you often need to get to and from Land's End or John O'Groats on a train and, or a flight or whatever. Um but inevitably, they don't cost nearly as much as you as you think. I've actually sort of done some walks uh, around Britain and lived on a fiver a day, actually, um, which is just, you know, I had a little jet boil and bought bags of pasta, uh, a bit of pesto and a bit of chorizo for a bit of protein. And, you know, for a fiver, actually, that gives you the calories you need for a whole day. Um, and I had a water filter just to fill up in rivers. So, you know... And that's in Britain, you know, you can probably halve that in many other countries if you're willing to to find the right stuff to buy and, and things like that. So, yeah, no, you certainly don't need nearly as much as you think you, you need. I think that's probably, it's very interesting here. I think a lot of people probably take the, the, the cost as to be a great sort of barrier of ever trying to achieve, do these things. I think I would think of it as a great expense, but really it's quite a simple existence for a few weeks. Well, exactly. I mean, I, I think my whole run, which is six weeks, I think probably cost me about a thousand pounds, which you know it's still a thousand pounds. It's still a thousand pounds, but you know I, I think most people should be able to find ways of of sort of saving a thousand pounds, whether it's you know just buying one less pint a week or you know buying a cheaper version of something X Y Z. There are always ways of of trying to save that little bit of money. Um, uh, or if you can't, or if you find that's too much of a stretch, then you just do what George did and. You know, as you go, try and get put to work and wash people's dishes and, and things like that, which is, uh, again, will become a, a really great adventure uh, to look back on, I think. For sure. I think, finally, Sean, most people want to know what uh, the current length of the beard um, <laughs> how, how, well, and how well-maintained it is at the moment. Uh, right now, and you can probably hear it's a bit windy, I'm on the west coast of Ireland, cycling around Ireland, um, and it's freezing cold. Another beast from the east has come through, just my luck. Uh, so the beard is properly windswept. Uh, it's pretty long. It's probably nearly a foot long now. Wow. Uh, it actually goes up over my eyes when, when I've got a tailwind and it flips it up in front of me, so that's kind of dangerous on the bike <laughs> on the downhill. Um, but it's actually a bit shorter. I've just got a little puppy. Uh, I got a Lakeland Terrier because they're really good at running, um, and he's now gotten into the habit of chewing the bottom of my beard. Right. So, yeah. So that sort of naturally keeps the length. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He's my barber. <laughs> right. Perfect. That's great. 
Um, well, thanks so much, Sean, for joining us. That was really, really interesting, and um, it just makes me feel like I should go for a little adventure, actually. <laughs> well, you should, and actually, you know, my Running Britain book will, it does detail all the routes and where I took. So if anyone wants to sort of do a, a run in a Land's End John O'Groats run, um, I, read the book and you, you'll make your, your life much easier because you won't make the same mistakes I did. So uh, <laughs> good luck. This is the Runner's World podcast. Well, always really great to hear from Sean. I really enjoyed that. I think the idea of, of having your own adventure as well chimes of us because obviously by the time this comes up, we will have done the London's Peaks Relay, which is, for those who don't know, it's a London-wide relay taken in the highest point in each London borough. How are you feeling about it, Ben? Are you feeling ready to, uh, to take in a few peaks? Yeah, very much so. Really excited, actually. We had the uh, planning meeting the other night and uh, gathering together fellow runners. The relay team was looking very strong. Yeah, a lot of lean people in that room. <laughs> yeah, lots of fast people um, staring at a map on the wall and and all you know wistfully thinking about how we're going to tackle our little legs. It was good. Yeah, it is, and I think like Sean was saying there. I mean, it's um, it's very DIY. I mean, we've got a support vehicle that's a kind of um, minibus from the local church. I think that we've called in a favour from. So it is very much like. Um, as you're saying, being resourceful. I think Sean's website says something like, adventure is a state of mind. And actually, I like that, the idea that it's actually the kind of, the imagination you bring to even a familiar place like London that can actually create an adventure. You don't need to throw, you know, loads and loads of money at it. No, exactly. I mean, look, I mean, Sean, everything that he's done of, that everyone knows he's famous for has been Britain. He hasn't, Yeah, he hasn't, I mean, he's been to other places, but people know of him as the guy who swam the coast of Britain and he's now just completed this triathlon and you know he could go and do it in somewhere much more exotic and it'd be more interesting for him but he the idea is that on your doorstep is these amazing places exactly exactly I think that just starting in the city that we live in it's kind of a great place to begin and hopefully others will see that has real potential to do it in their own area yeah exactly yeah adventure begins at home that's that's the message and um yeah well hopefully like say we'll try and uh inspire some other people to, to have a go at a similar adventure in their own their own city exactly great for more from runners world head to runnersworld.co.uk if you didn't think riding 3,000 kilometers was hard then how about running it that's what marathon runner peter thompson is attempting as he takes on the entire route of the 2018 tour de france raising thousands of pounds for mental health charities i caught up with peter to find out a little more about the challenge well, Peter, thanks a lot for uh, for coming on the Runners World podcast. I think, you know, to start with, how did you come up with the idea of running the Tour de France route? Um, it's a race that I've sort of been watching and really got into for the last four or five years. And um, it's just an uh, amazing sporting event. So I was just watching it last year and I thought, I wonder if I wonder if I could run it. And uh, <laughs> and as stupid as that idea sounds, it kind of um, stuck in my head and, and then, um, yeah, never left, really. I mean, it's, it's a seriously long way, isn't it? Even by bike, it's over three thousand kilometres. I mean, how are you? How are you training for uh, such an epic challenge? Um, you're right. Yeah, it's it's over three thousand kilometres. So I'm I'm at the moment sort of training sort of every day, running wise. I'm doing sort of three sessions in the gym for for my legs, just in terms of preparation for running uphills and and predominantly the downhills, which which scare me just as much as the uphills, really. So yeah, I'm doing sort of eighty, ninety miles a week and. And just trying to to get as as prepared as as, as anyone can be, really. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and my understanding is that you're you're going off with uh, quite um, 
a large time before the, the cyclists and hoping to finish before they catch you up. Is that right? Yeah. So I want it to kind of be a race against them. Um, I think that's a really kind of key part of the challenge because it will keep me focused, I think, when I'm, I'm struggling. So the plan is to start seven weeks before they do and to finish sort of two days before them. So if I managed to do that, then that would be 70 days to, to do the challenge, which is, yeah, sort of 30, 30 miles, nearly 50 kilometres a day, which, yeah, saying that out loud is um, quite scary. Yeah, because it's not um, famous for being um, sort of pancake flat, the course of the of the tour. Um, lots of the climbs are, are very, very, very difficult, even on bike. Is that is that the kind of part that is uh, that you're finding most daunting at the minute? It is because I'm not someone who's who's done loads of hill work and stuff in the past. I mean, I have my family live near Mont Ventoux in in France, and I have run up Mont Ventoux before, so I have got some experience of of running up, you know, a big climb. But um, that's the biggest unknown for me, and it's the biggest unknown is how that's going to affect my body, both you know, both the inclines and and coming down. Because I think it's the equivalent of of going up Mount Everest over over three times in terms of the climb. So. Um, yeah, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be an experience, but I'm hoping that the, the views on the way up um, will, will help. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I guess um, one thing the tour is, is famous for is, is the kind of crowd support and people out on the streets. But I guess when you're doing it, it's going to be much more isolated and experienced. Is that right? It will. It will. I mean, I've got my um, my girlfriend's coming with me and she's she's kind of driving um, a car and hopefully doing some cycling. And then I've got some friends and things that are coming out on different sections. But But there will be vast amount of time where I'm going to be on my own with my own thoughts in my you know in my head and it's going to be those moments that are the really difficult bits and I you know I did a challenge last year where I ran um a marathon in every country in Europe in consecutive days and I was I was largely on my own for a lot of that and and it is those bits that really test you because it's it's where you go to in that moment it's the, the fact that you know you're going to have those doubts you're going to have those moments where you think can I do this and mm. it's almost knowing you're going to have those and expecting them and then trying to deal with those when when they come and and it's it's just as much a mental battle as it will be a, a physical and I you know I, I'm aware of that but it will uh, yeah just it will it will all unfold I'm sure I mean what will motivate you in those in those moments Peter I know that you're obviously raising money for a couple of charities I mean could you tell us a little bit about the motivation behind this challenge Yes, yes. So the the reason the challenge is um, is called Marathons for the Mind. So that was the name of my last challenge as well. And I guess the name of the kind of initiative which I feel like um, yeah that I've developed and it's about raising money for, for for mental health charities basically. So one of those charities is, is Mind, um, and the other one is Livability, which run a particular garden project called Flourish um, near where I work in in Paul. Um, and both of those charities do some incredible work and they make a difference to, to people's lives. And And I link in with one of those charities through, through my job and I see firsthand you know, the difference it makes. And you know, the mental health aspect, it's something that affects you know my friends and my family. And, and from the last challenge, it's, it's very much made me understand my own mental health better and the fact that I think we can all benefit from just being more open about our mental health in terms of listening to other people and, and being able to express what we might be feeling feeling down so i i want to raise money i want to raise awareness and that is a huge part of this and that motivation is in my head and i've got so many people that i can think of and causes that i know it's going to make a difference for that will be yeah that i can turn to when i when i need to i was wondering if um if anyone had ever done this before because it doesn't doesn't sound like the kind of thing that's on most people's bucket list <laughs> 
Um, yes, a, a lady did it, because um, Zoe Romano, um, in 2013. So, yeah, unbelievable. She did it in, I think, just under 80 days. Um, she set off six weeks before the ride. She didn't plan to finish just before then because of the way the route worked. She had to go back and finish another section. But, I mean, it proves that, you know, it proves it can be done. <laughs> um, and she was an incredible person for achieving that. And she raised um, hundreds of thousands of pounds for charity. So that will be be a motivation as well to know that somebody's done it will make it easier my last challenge nobody had ever done it before and i guess it was that if nobody had ever done it you think can you do it and and i guess to know that somebody's done this will 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 help i think is there any particular stage that is um kind of stands out for being particularly difficult or one um that you're looking planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Forward to. I think sort of Alpe d'Huez, um, which is just a, one of the iconic climbs in in France, really, and it's one of the iconic climbs that the tour goes up. So I'm really looking forward to to going up that and and just generally just getting to to the Alps because I know they're going to be hilly, but I think that that kind of scenic aspect of it will 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 help break break that up. So. So there's some incredible climbs through through the Alps and, and the Pyrenees, and you know whether my mind will change when I get there and I see how big they are in reality. Um, who knows? But uh, yeah, I think those kind of those Alps and Pyrenees stages are the ones that stand out stand out for me. I mean, what happens, Peter, if um, if it doesn't go as well as as you hope, and the riders do catch you up? What's what's the kind of how will you deal with that? Will you be kind of run down? What I learned from from last time is that you you know you can do all the preparation in the world and you can want something as much as you want and but you never know quite what's going to happen. There can be things that are taken out of your control. You know, I I know mentally I'm very strong in terms of pushing myself, but there are some things you physically can't overcome, and I will obviously do all my best to to, to overcome them. But you know, if if I get overtaken and or if you know the challenge falls apart in two days because I hurt myself. I will have tried. I'll have put myself on that start line. And I think that's the biggest thing sometimes because I think people who sometimes want to do things but they don't because they think what happens if it, if it goes wrong. Um, but I think getting to that start line, and I would say that to anybody who undertakes challenges and, 
anybody who has undertaken a challenge, you know, will understand that getting to that start line is a huge part because there are a lot of elements, both logistically, training-wise, and, and everything else that go into standing on that start line. So it's an achievement just to get there. And 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 what happens happens. And if I if I achieve it, then amazing, and I'll do everything I can. But if I don't, then I'd like to think that I'll have you know a level-headed mindset, and yeah. obviously I'll be disappointed, but I will I will you know adjust as as things go on. Really, I mean, we look at um, lots of the tour riders, and they have a kind of they have a great team around them that they have domestiques and all the rest of it. I mean, what kind of team will you have? I guess it will be slightly more of a kind of solo effort. It will. <laughs> it will be. Uh, It'll be my girlfriend in an estate car, basically. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yeah, she'll be she'll be amazing, and um, we, we're staying. The plan is to stay in kind of B and Bs and campsites along the way. But no, I don't have a team of physios and a, a big four by four following me around. So, I've got a physio which helped me last time, and um, he's amazing, called Tim, and I can you know phone him up, and he will help. Um, and as I say, I've got friends who are coming out in different sections. So hopefully, like the team trim trial, there'll be a few of us doing that one. Um, but yeah, I, I think certain things go wrong. I, I haven't got this entourage, but that's that's part of the the challenge, really. And you know, realistically, I'm I'm only in France. I'm not <laughs> in the middle of of nowhere. So if I need certain things, um, you know, I'd hope that we can we can get hold of those. Sure. And just remind us all when uh, when when you're setting off and when you when you're hoping to finish. So it starts on May the 19th, so yeah, Saturday, which is um, yeah nine weeks before, no, sorry, nine weeks, seven weeks before the, the riders start, and the plan will be to finish on the Friday, um, two days before the tour finishes, which I'm pretty sure the tour finishes on the 29th of July, which is a Sunday, so yeah, it will be 70 days, it will be 30 miles a day, um, and yeah, I just, uh, I'm, I'm massively excited, I'm, I'm scared as well but um the money has started to come in we've raised a thousand pounds so far um for the charities and and all the information um about why i'm doing it and and about the roots and all those things is on um, marathonsforthemind.com which is yeah which is my my website and things no, i think it's an absolutely um incredible challenge i think it really uh, captures people's imagination it's not something that people probably think is even possible to run so i think it's um yeah it's a fantastic thing to take on Great. I mean, just final question, Pete. If that's all right. Um, yeah, of course. What kind of what kind of message are you are you looking to put out through through this? I think the message is about just wanting first and foremost, in terms of the mental health aspect, is to to get people to to be a bit more open about their mental health and to also listen to others and, and be open in terms of listening. So, I think that kind of mental health focus is 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 a huge thing. And in terms of the running aspect, it's it's trying to get people outdoors and, and hopefully inspire people to want to run um, and to try and do that in, yeah, like a, a simplistic form and, and just to kind of take it for what it is and, and, and the beauty of, of what running is. Because for me, running is a, a huge focus to be able to, to go out and just put on a pair of trainers and explore the world and, and not have to, you know, overanalyze things and to just to kind of enjoy it. And I would want to give people that message and also yeah and, and completely the, the mental health message in terms of being more open and and just getting people talking peter thank you very very much for uh, for coming on the, the runners well podcast uh, really interesting to hear a bit more about your challenge and best of luck with it we'll be uh, watching it with interest come uh, come may 19th cool. thank you very much for having me this is the runners world podcast how has your running been going ben you, you've got the london marathon coming up uh, yeah, I do. It's still technically happening. I had uh, I've got had a bit of a knee injury, 
which has been carefully assessed by some of London's finest physios. Um, but yeah, it's never say never. What's the, what's the diagnosis? Well, initially it was MCL, maybe some sort of cartilage right. damage. Um, that's probably down at the dramatic end of the scale. But there's definitely something on the medial side, on the inside right. of the knee, which isn't quite doing what it's meant to do. So what do you think chances are of making the start line at London? I don't know. Ooh, um, and now it's probably more psychological rather than anything else. I'm trying to sort of get my head around the fact that I've missed four weeks, five weeks of training. So the idea of being on the start line and it being hard, much, much harder than I wanted it to be is kind of where I'm at with the head. I think that physically doing it is still f- would be very difficult but doable. Mm. But whether or not I want to put myself through it, and also if the fact if someone tells me like, oh no, don't do it because your knee will explode, then I need to probably be a bit more sensible. Yeah, I think with a serious injury, then it's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Until someone says that though, then yeah, all systems go. Okay, well, we'll we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Do we ever? Do you ever want to talk about your running? Sure. Yeah, I'll tell you about my running. <laughs> what do you want to know? Well, you, you're the one who does it like way more efficiently and better. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, my running. So <laughs> Rick. I, yeah. And what about you, Rick? How's your running going? Well, thanks for asking, Ben. Yeah, um, I have. I did the big half actually. So at the beginning of March, um, first half marathon I've done for ages. I uh, until this year, I was doing a lot of running with Hernhill Harriers. I was quite used to sort of working quite hard once or twice a week. Um, so it was a big shock to go back and race and actually be like that kind of panicked right on the red line. Like I'm, I'm probably going too fast and I'm going to blow up here. Uh, but it went all right. I I did one twenty four fifty nine. So I think when you get fifty nine, anything that's very satisfying. I think generally, anywhere the other side of an hour and thirty is ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's it's good watermark time, isn't it? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I thought I, I mustered a sprint finish. Cause I don't run with a watch actually. Right. I, I think. Um, it holds me back. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just don't. And um, I thought, oh, God, I, I might be quite close to under 125 here, which is way faster than I thought I'd do. Yeah. Um, and then I saw it coming in 124.59. So hey. I thought that's... So if there's a, if there's a message there, it is, it's, it's do the sprint finish. It, it can be worth it. For more from Runner's World, head to runnersworld.co.uk. So we're very happy to welcome to the studio Runners World Commissioning Editor Kerry McCarthy. Kerry's the in-house expert on running gear, so we thought with the spring marathons around the corner it'd be useful to ask Kerry for some expert wardrobe advice. Welcome to the podcast, Kerry. Morning. Um, so with the marathon coming up, um, what are the kind of kit do's and don'ts people should be thinking about? Oh, so many, so many. It's enormously complicated and you're probably going to get it wrong, so start wearing now. <laughs> um, no, not really. It's basically a question of, of common sense. Um, for example, the one that all listeners predict that I'm going to say first is don't wear new shoes on day or in fact, at any point in the month leading up to it. Um, I think every, every month, every year rather, when we are at the Marathon Expo and we're manning the Runners World stand and we see people who are running in three days time with a couple of boxes under their arms looking proud saying, I'm going to wear these on race day. I did that once actually. Yeah. To my shame, yeah, I, it, was a, it was two days before, and I'd been eyeing up these these shoes, and uh, I thought this is this is going to make the difference. And it was a, an appalling decision, and I did a really bad marathon. I'm not blaming the shoes, but it was yeah. It, it kind of sounds like you are you blaming the shoes, right? Definitely <laughs> just blame the shoes. It yeah. wasn't my lack of any sort of twenty mile run; it was the shoes. But uh, yeah, I, I fell into that trap, which I feel quite quite embarrassed about actually. But there you go. 
Yeah, well, you know, we all do it. I mean, I've been at one as well for 10 years, and, and two weeks ago I went and went out for a 16-mile run wearing a pair of wet shorts straight from the washing machine. So, you know, I was walking like John Wayne for a couple of days afterwards. <laughs> it wasn't pleasant. You know, we all make schoolboys. Um, what else? Let's see. I think you need to apply that same principle to the rest of your kit. So don't worry about colour coordinating it. Don't worry about buying something spangly new. Just wear the same tried and trusted outfit that you've that you've worn in training on your long Sunday runs and that you know is going to work for you. Ultimately, nobody's going to care if you're wearing a coordinated unicorn outfit, Brooks Special Edition or whatever. <laughs> They're just going to look at your race time and go, bloody hell, that was fast. And these kind of marginal gains in mm. terms of wearing something where you don't even realise you're wearing it, just getting your kit out of the way making it one less thing to worry about in the day is important um in terms of what you should wear if you're thinking oh i haven't really thought about my kit and i just wear my same gola trainers and my cotton t-shirts you obviously want something that's going to wick the sweat away um that is fast drying um that's lightweight i think in some most women in my experience will wear leggings um, in which case, um, I'm going to use the word gusset now. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, make sure there is a gusseted crotch, which means it's kind of ergonomically designed for round those bits and not just like super tight. Right. Um, make sure actually that your leggings, you've, you invest in your leggings so that they're kind of, they've got different panels on them to suit the cut of your leg. And again, so that it doesn't feel like you're just wearing cling film wrapped around your legs. Um, for guys, Shorts is, go- is almost certainly going to be the order of the day. It's entirely up to you whether you wear ones that have, have lining in or not. But again, don't wear new shorts because the lining is going to cut you to ribbons. And more and more people now are wearing, um, males and females are wearing uh, sports-specific underwear. Um, if you're thinking, I've never heard of this, then check out Runderwear, uh, which is a specialist underwear brand. Check out Bjorn Borg, which, yes, is the, the ex-tennis pro, yep. uh, who's gone into making his own range of, of kit, and um, he started off just doing underwear. Um, there are several brands. There's My favourite one is one called Two Under, which is an Aussie brand. Um, and they're, um, they should have called it Down Under, surely. I, I think I think I remember reading something about the fact that they did, and then they just thought that was a bit dodgy. <laughs> However, they have managed to maintain the Joey pouch in there, which is what you rest your crown jewels in, and the front is extra reinforced with a no drip tip. Wow! Make Good. of that what you will. <laughs> wow! Yeah. How about um, how about compression gear, Kerry? Because I've, I, rumor has it that you, you did your first marathon and you were in a lot of compression gear. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't think that was me. I think that might have been uh, runs well deputy to Joe Mackey. Okay, right. Um, um, if you ever saw Kathy Freeman in that in that skin suit in the Olympics, <laughs> that's pretty much what Joe Mackey likes to look like on, on even just a casual training run. If it, if it wasn't if it wasn't you in the compression, then, then was it you with the many many gels? Hmm. Or was it with the? Weren't you injured? Didn't you have knee guards on or something? Ah, yeah, no, yeah, that's true. My first marathon, I did turn up looking a bit like kind of like a sporty RoboCop. <laughs> um, I'd, I had no clue what I was doing. This is like sixteen years ago or something, and I'd overtrained, and I arrived at race day wearing knee supports on both knees, elbow guards for some reason. I obviously thought I was <laughs> taking part in a, in a, in a roller derby, um, and a camelback, um, uh-huh. and a baseball cap. And I just, yeah. It was it was mildly uncomfortable even to walk in, so God knows how I thought I was going to get around twenty six point two, but I did somehow. Well, it's interesting on the on the camelback front because I was going to ask about um, 
carrying a water bottle and hydration that stuff do you think that with a well-organized big race like london marathon there's a need to be carrying lots and lots of water with you i think it i think it depends what you're used to um if i would say carry your own water for one of two reasons one if you are going for a very specific time and you're trying to knock let's say seconds let's say you've run 301 and you're trying to just dip under three okay you're going to be carrying extra weight on your back but the time that you save by not slowing down to go through fuel stations and trying not to slip over banana skins and empty water bottles if you know you've got everything on you you can just cruise through the middle of all the fuel stations and that will save you time and number two if you've practiced with uh, drinking something like a, a high carb carb carbohydrate drink um easiest drink than it is to say <laughs> um then you might want to take that with you. You know, it's, it's one, another one of the basic tenets of, of sports nutrition that you don't try anything else new on the day. If you've been using brand A and then you brand, brand B is what they've got, you're potentially letting yourself open to a, a world of gastrointestinal issues, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever experimented with making your own gels, Ben? I wonder if that's something you've ever, ever done. Ever moved into- no, I mean, I think definitely like the cooked goods. So on runs, like I'm, I quite like eating. What, like crystal meth? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like to okay. start every 5K with a quick... No. Um, but, you know, coming f- off of the world of cycling, preparing little bits of food for when you're out on a ride, I right. do the same principle when I'm on a run. I don't I don't mind chewing... I mean, like cliff bars. I'd eat a cliff bar on a run. So I've, I've definitely made sort of uh, chewable little flapjacky things or like date balls and that that kind of stuff rather than gels i don't mind a gel but no i've never i've never made an, my own gel which would be have you i have i have actually um, why do you think he asked that question yeah he's been gagging to sell us <laughs> sell it, i don't know Special have, recipe. it's, it's uh, Rick, the, the rick com. uh no i did i i looked into it and i it was basically bananas honey raisins and just to be poncy some chia seeds all in all in a blender yep. and uh Actually, it worked fine. Yeah, it was right. I will tell you, though, the benefit of having a child, among many benefits, is actually the pouches, baby food. The baby food pouches are yeah, like, yeah, like, ridiculously good. You see a lot of ultra runners like pack those yeah, as well, because yeah, yeah. they're mean, easy to pack. I've they? taken them out on runs, yeah. because you can get the ones which are like pretty like just fruit really yeah. good no, no sort of extra because you know them for children so they're meant to be good for them and you just have one of those when you're running along and it's 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 kind of better than a gel i mean gels are great for that immediate mm. fructose sucrosey whatever sugar you need carb level but if you're sort of happy to digest some baby food i would absolutely recommend one of those wow it's, i mean i wonder how much different they are in composition like you know professional sports brand x and a bit of cow and gate I mean, at a fundamental level, they're just going to have fructose, glucose. Yeah, sugars, right? I mean, yeah, it's... massive sugar hit. I mean, as far as that goes, actually, I did try to, for London Marathon last year, I tried to take more natural fuel on the run, so like little energy balls made with like mm. dates and bits of nuts and mm. stuff like that. And it just did not work for me at all, which I was gutted about. And then when I talked to a couple of nutritionists about it, they said, well, that makes sense because you've been feeding your system mm. with instant hit sugar, like simple sugars for years, and that's what your system requires now. And you're yeah. trying to give it something that takes longer to digest, a slower release. And their their theory was that it would probably take me six to nine months to like adjust my insides to to, to kind of like treating that as fuel. Mm. Well, the reason why gels work is because all the blood is in your limbs, yeah, and, and your stomach has very little blood in it. So you put a gel in, which is super condensed energy and whatever 
is very easy for a blood-starved digestive system to process, essentially, rather than a large baguette. Which is yeah, the, which is the other option, yeah, obviously. Yeah, and it's like, uh, yeah, but we ain't giving your stomach any blood to, to help with yeah, it, so exactly. it can just sit there. Yeah. Yes. As regards other tips for Kit, this is just a kind of, this is hopefully going to be a helpful tip, but seeing people doing it poorly is a bit of a bugbear of mine, which is that when you see people racing in cold conditions, and, you know, a lot of people know now to um, put bin bags on before the race or wear disposable clothing, but I think the disposable clothing thing applies to during the race as well. People quite often during a cold race, um, they will dress according to how cold they are on the start line and not according to how they're going to feel at mile four. Mm. Um, we did a couple of pieces about a year ago at Runner's World on, on training in, in extremes, not extreme conditions, but very cold and very hot. And we spoke to an academic at the University of Roehampton who explained that when you start running... Even if it's just you change from a, a walk to a gentle jog, your metabolism will boost by up to 30 times. Right. So that's why, when, you know, you see at mile four of a marathon, people are running with, like, their jacket and their mid-layer tied around their waist and it's flapping everywhere and it's clearly irritating them. And you think, oh, you poor sod, you've got another X miles to go. Really, if it's cold, wear some, like, cheapo 399 arm warmers, wear a knackered old gig t-shirt over the top of your race t-shirt as long as you can show your bib it doesn't matter what you wear over the top when you start and still continue to shed layers as you go and then once you've reached you know a few miles in and you've reached optimal temperature you're going to kind of stay at that yeah i think that's really true i heard a saying that was dress for the second mile and i think that's like you say yeah. actually if you're cold at the beginning and you're not moving well that's not going to be your state as you go. No, around. you just, unfortunately, you just have to suck it up to start with. But just know, but have the confidence of knowing you are going to warm up very quickly. Good shot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's very rare that you find yourself cold during a race. I can't really think of any example I've ever had where I was like, oh, I wish I'd packed another layer here. I've never ventured far enough afield for that to ever be an issue. <laughs> um, should we, um, I wonder if we could talk just more generally about the marathon code because you, you're, you're a bit of a kind of just beyond gear but like with the kind of pacing aspect and all the rest of it yeah i mean ha, how many how many london marathons have you run now um not sure either four or five okay so it's quite a lot yeah yeah is there i think any, five is there any, anything like uh you know any mistakes you've made or or kind of lessons you've learned through doing the marathon that amount of times that you kind of wish that you'd known when you when you started hmm that's a good question I think the one that all that gets me that I think is going to apply to a lot of people is don't get overexcited. Do not think on race day that you magically have the powers to run at eight minute miles when all of your training has been done at nine minute miles because it's not going to happen. The number of times that, you know, I when people come to us for marathon advice in the couple of weeks before and they say, well, I missed half my training. I wanted to run 3.30. I'm just going to go off at eight-minute miles and hang on for as long as I can and see what happens. You know, that way, painful disaster lies, yeah. frankly. Yeah. Um, Not to be a harbinger of doom. Or no, but you have, to be, you have to be absolutely realistic about your training. You know, most people are, you know, are pretty in tune with their bodies. You know deep down what you're capable of at any given moment in time. So stick to it. And equally, if your training has gone very well and you have a plan... Do not think, 
hold on a minute, that person up in front of me, I look like I'm a better runner than them, I'm going to take them, their ass is mine. And then go through this whole thing of picking off people and thinking for the first few miles or the first half of the marathon, yeah, this is amazing, I'm smashing it. There's a reason why a marathon is, is 26 miles and, you know, they say the marathon only really starts at mile 20. First 20 miles are just prep. Yeah. It's a, it's a 10k race, really. Yeah, I think that's interesting. It's definitely, the, yeah, the last 10k with things can go very right or, or more often very, very wrong. Uh, Steve Way, who obviously is a, is a great runner, I think he ran two fifteen in London a few years ago. And he said that he doesn't set his target time until very close to the race. For the reason you're saying it might be that his training goes a lot better than he expects or, or a lot worse. And then he'll say, you know, three weeks out, actually I'm going for this time rather than that time. I think in more amateur running we just think, Yeah, I'm a free thirty guy, you know, or I'm a free guy or I'm 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 four or whatever. And actually Yeah, and it's so irrational, isn't it? Because you are Yeah. You're a different person every day of the week, depending on what you've eaten, how your sleep's going, your workload, your stress, your everything, and all of these things have an impact. And so if you wake up, all right, you might sign up for the marathon in October, but by the time it comes to like the third Sunday in April and you're lining up on the start line, who knows what's happened in the six months or so, and certainly the 16 weeks prior to that. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of pressure that people put on themselves from that point of view, from the get-go. I'm doing this. In six months' time, I will do this. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, mate, hopefully. Yeah. And, you know, because they've put it out on social media and they've made a big thing about it and they've charted their journey, which all of which is good, by the way, obviously, because you, it's good to be accountable to people because it helps you to, to actually follow through on what you've signed up for. But you have to be able to cut yourself some slack as well. For sure. Um, yeah. The other thing I've just thought of, which, um, again, we've covered in the magazine, which I don't know if you guys have tried it yet, but I have, and it definitely works, but it sounds a bit bonkers, is smile while you're running. Okay, I've been doing this. I agree. Yeah. I think it really Don't works. You think it works. I think it really works. Yeah. Research has been done that showing if you, showing that if you smile when the going gets tough, a it fools your your brain into thinking, oh, I'm having a good time here, <laughs> <laughs> because our brains are that thick. Yeah. Um, and also, it just relaxes a lot of the muscles in your body. And you know how tense you get in like your neck and your upper back and your arms swing. If you smile at, at tough points, actually, you, it, it feels different. You see it with um, Elliot Kipchoge. He's he's got this kind of perma perma grin. Yeah, and it isn't just that he's particularly happy that he's the best marathon runner in the world. It's actually he's trying to. I'd be relax smiley himself. if I could run as quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe that's right. I'm incredibly fast and loaded. Yeah, but yeah, I think it. Yeah, you kind of feel like you're in control. If I'm smiling, I must be. I must be doing all right. I think. Yeah, I think going from the standpoint of don't do anything brand new on race day. Are there any particular things you think that are acceptable on race day that you can do that is brand new kit wise is there anything kit wise could you be like do you know what i'm really gonna wear that lucky cap or do you know i mean is there anything detrimental or is there something or should people be putting like they've never ever put body glide on and then suddenly someone at the start line's like share my body glide i mean it's a bit weird but would you would you advise people who've never like used a share personal my body glide? Sounds like a line out of Anchorman or something. Well, thank share you. my body glide. <laughs> um, is that the sort of thing that you think? Actually, you know what? On race day, that's not a, that's not a bad idea. Yes, that's that's a good point, Ben Hobson. Let's talk about lubrication for a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, it's if you're thinking, oh, the conversation is going to get a bit dodgy now. It's not. If you don't know what it is, sports lube is basically a slightly more technical version of Vaseline. Um, and most sensible people, if they're going on a long distance run, will will put it on the parts of their body that are likely to experience chafing, which for guys is their nipples. 
um, for everybody should be their inner thighs um, and round that general area. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, your feet in between your toes, Achilles, anywhere that's likely to rub or you get blisters. You can certainly do that for the first time on race day. And in fact, I urge anybody who's listening to this, who is running a spring marathon, who hasn't previously done it to get involved, um, it's it's going to open up your eyes to a, a world of pain-free running. Um, between ta- the toes? Yeah. Oh, I d- really? I d- yeah. I would have thought it made it kind of slippy. Or does, I mean, no, it really it- doesn't because, the, you know, these things are sophisticated enough now that it's not just like any old gunk. Yeah. Um, and it reacts in a... I don't know how it really works, well, but it I reacts don't... in a certain way with your skin, but it's it just... It just means that you don't get any friction between the toes or any blisters or anything like that. Um, it's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, let me see. Body Glide is uh, a brand name for one of the best brands out there. And Two Toms, which is the number two, and then T-O-M-S is, is another one. Um, so I would check both those out. They are non-smelly. Um, they don't stain your kit. They wash out easily and they get the job done. This is the Runner's World Podcast. So that brings us to the end of this month's Runner's World Podcast. I'd like to say a big thanks to our guests, Sean Conway, Peter Thompson and Kerry McCarthy. For more info on running, training, nutrition advice and anything else that you might need for running, please visit runnersworld.co.uk. Thanks to everyone who's emailed the uh, podcast at runnersworld.co.uk with all of your suggestions for topics. That's much appreciated. Please feel free to email us any more that you have. Um, tweet us as well at runnersworld.uk. Thanks very much for listening and see you next month. The Runner's World podcast was recorded at Scramble Studios Soho. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.